everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Texan Overtime. Uh, I'm one of the audio editors here at the Texan, JT Lindsay. Uh, I'm joined, as always, by Ross Burkhart. Hello, friends. Uh, we're also joined this week by Steve Helwick, who is our resident... I mean, what is he not an expert in, all right? We got Cheesecake Factory, Six Flags, Pitbull, Snow Miser versus Heat Miser. I recently learned knife throwing is on the list. Uh, Steve Helwick, you know him, you probably don't love him, but you like him at least a little bit. Uh, but we've got also with us our resident, uh, you better not call him Steve, Stephen Wagner. He's our expert uh, in, in call, not shorthanding it. Also, we'll be hearing uh, a little bit later from Clark Dalton, who is women's tennis beat writer, which so close to being in the news women's tennis was, but... Just, just, just missed it. Uh, and, yeah, fun uh, one for you, for you today. An audio staffer, but uh, first we're going to start off as every overtime period starts with the coin flip, uh, and we're going to get into this news in a little bit. But I'm going to say this: if you could pick two shows that you have to watch for the rest of your life, you can either have ten million dollars, and you have to watch the only show you're ever allowed to watch is the show Full House. Or you can have $10 million. It's the same dollar amount. That's the joke. It's $10 million, and you have to watch Desperate Housewives your whole life. Basically, Full House or Desperate Housewives. It's the only show you can watch for the rest of your life. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, that's actually, I thought you were going to do this with a coin flip. Cool. Um, I've actually never seen an episode of Desperate Housewives. I don't know if that's a sin, like if I should have done that. I don't think so. But I really liked Full House as a kid. I mean, like, it's kind of trash now, but... I think I would be nostalgic for, like, a oh, good week. <laughs> the next week, though. Yeah, I mean, and then I wouldn't want to watch TV anymore. I'd be yeah. sick, but, yeah. I think I'd probably go with Desperate Housewives just because I kind of like that trashy drama. Like, I feel this like after sense. a while, like, I would, like, it would, it would, it would hold my attention. It would take, it would take a little longer to get old, but Full House, I mean, you can just run through that, but. You're learning a lot about Stephen's brand right off the bat here. See, but also, I mean, Full House is so heartwarming. So, Steve, you seem like the kind of guy, you know, you could get a lot of life lessons, like, from it. I do like motivation. I like motivational quotes, but unfortunately, I do not know anything about these shows other than the fact that Eva Longoria, back when she was married to Tony Parker, was actually on Desperate He's Housewives. He's got to relate it back to basketball. So, like, <laughs> I have no clue. You can pick one for me. I have zero interest in either of these shows, and I've never watched a single second of either one, so I'm okay either way. Steve said, if I don't have to watch <laughs> either of them... I won't take the $10 million. Steve, yeah. are you a Spurs fan? Something gives me the impression that you might be a Spurs fan. I am. Steve, if you, if for those of you at home, is wearing a San Antonio Spurs hat, which brings the count to infinity number of sports team shirts that Steve Helwick owns. It's not a number. But before we get into uh, men's basketball and women's basketball, which are Steve and Steven's beats, we're first going to talk uh, to Ross a little bit. He's been... <laughs> Since this morning, kind of scrambling, uh, we were talking earlier, he was like, I didn't know I was going to be working in the news department today, but he was. Uh, and so uh, today there was a scandal that broke. It was national and involved schools like Yale, USC, UCLA, as well as UT and a few others. Uh, but it, it, was, uh, it was about uh, bribery in the admissions process. And uh, UT's own men's tennis coach, Michael Center, uh, was involved. So Ross, tell us a little bit about like how did your day progress? Like, how did you start working on this story? So mostly I'm driving to class this morning and I see, I get this New York Times notification on my phone. I don't check it too much because I'm driving. 
props to me. But also I was a little bit late on that because our, our men's tennis writer, Robert, texts me when I'm about five minutes to class. I'm about to walk into class. But he says, he said, what's the protocol for this kind of story? And I was like, what does that mean? When that's the first message I get from him, I'm like, what What are you even talking about? And then he said, like, the tennis coach, like, was implicated in, in these charges. And I was like, you're kidding. So he writes up something on it, and we're collecting, you know, statements from the university and everything like that. I'm headed home. I stop by KFC because I say, I'm going to get a famous bowl before I take a nap. Well, you're, a, this is too much insight into your life. No, it's a number 23 with a, with a biscuit on the side. That is your brand. And then right then I get I get the uh, the tweet from the Statesman uh, court reporter who said he's going to be on trial at 2 for the pre- preliminary hearing. So I head over there. Um, we hear from him, and it's basically, you know, just they're just talking about what he's charged with, uh, just court stuff like that. So we wait outside for about 45 minutes. Uh, his lawyer walks him out to his car, um, and everybody's asking him, do you have anything to say? And right now, you know, they're just preparing statements and things like that. So he says, not much of a comment. Um, he was obviously very um, upset over the charges. They're planning on pleading not guilty to those charges, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming they're preparing a defense. His lawyer was very adamant to say that he's not maintaining his innocence. He is innocent. Um, so they, they didn't say too much. He was uh, he was very interested in the team's tennis match uh, tonight, which we're recording this on on Tuesday night against Rice. Um, so he said, "You guys, you guys should go out and cover uh, the team tonight because they'd be a lot more fun to watch than I am." But um, nothing, nothing right now. Um, what what in particular was he charged with? Yeah. So in case um, there's more background for our listeners. Um, he was charged with um, with a scandal of the admissions process. Um, so virtually somebody lined out in this case um, was a student who enrolled at the university in 2015. And there was a uh, there was somebody. What, what, what was it? The CW1. Oh, yeah. They, they classified him as CW1, which yeah. was, was uh, co- courtesy witness. Cooperating, one, witness. Or cooperating, co- cooperating witness. Cooperating witness one, who they're referred to as, is the uh, the person who they're getting information from with this. Well, uh, can I, I can also read. I can read directly from the R article. Yeah. So this is an article written by Robert Trevino, like you said, the men's beat writer. Uh, here's the fourth paragraph uh, that kind of gets into what he's accused of. So according to the complaint uh, filed by the court, the center, a center is accused of accepting approximately 100000 from a cooperating witness, CW1. Mm-hmm. The $100,000 was, quote, in exchange for which center would designate a student as a recruit for the University of Texas tennis team, thereby facilitating his admission to Texas. Right. So virtually what that means um, in plain speak is that um, a student was brought on on scholarship, on a books scholarship is what they're calling it in the, uh, in the implication. And it was probably a week or two after the student enrolled in classes, he dropped the scholarship and his uh, and his right to be a student athlete. So he was basically just enrolled at the university. So it was just a workaround to ensure that the student, you know, is granted automatic acceptance to the university. Um, obviously, the student is not named in these uh, in these charges, but that's basically what we know right now. Like I said, um, he is uh, he is maintaining his plea of innocence. And uh, they are scheduled to be in court on March 25th in uh, Boston because the uh, the charges were, were brought down in Massachusetts through the federal court. Um, and it's not likely that that's going to be moved to Austin. They The judge talked about it possibly being that way if um, they were planning to, you know, submit a guilty plea. But since they're not, 
uh, it's likely that about uh, two weeks from now, we're going to know more during that trial in Boston. Awesome. So we'll keep you updated. Make sure and follow Texan Sports, Ross and Robert Trevino, uh, if you want to hear more about it. Cool. All right. Uh, after talking about men's tennis, we're going to talk next about women's basketball. The Big 12 tournament concluded last night. The Baylor Bears beat Iowa State uh, in the final. Iowa State beat Texas 75-69 in the semis. Um, so this is a women's team that in the last few weeks has been up and down. Um, had some good wins, had some tough losses. And so now the question is, where is the selection committee going to put them? But why don't you talk a little bit about their Big 12 run, Stephen? Yeah, so um, to say that they've been on a little bit of a rough stretch these last couple of weeks is kind of an understatement. This is a team that, uh, when given the prominence of this program and what fans are traditionally um, used to, as far as winning goes, this is a team that has underperformed by a lot of standards. Um, they finished third in the Big 12 for the first time since, I believe, uh, 2014 or maybe 2015. Um, so their worst season in a while. They started the year in the top 10, uh, kind of fell off a little bit. Or I'm sorry, they started the year in the top 15, fell off a little bit. And uh, right now it's looking like they're probably going to be hovering around 24th or 25th in the final AP poll. Uh, they they got into the tournament and had a uh, they they had a they had a quality win over TCU. The second time they played TCU in that week. Um, then they took on Iowa. Then they took on an Iowa State team that was just uh, too much for them. But this is a team where the NCAA tournament for them more than anything is going to be their opportunity to get that statement win that they've so desperately sought. They had a couple big opponents earlier in the season. They took on Mississippi State at home. They took on Tennessee at home. You know, two of the more prominent programs in the country. And uh, against Mississippi State, who I think will definitely be a one seed in the tournament, uh, they just looked completely outmatched from the stretch. It was apparent that uh, this is not the Texas team of years past. Yeah, I mean, I mean, looking at those matchups, and it never really felt like fans got that big win that they were waiting for, and it, it was like they're bound to steal one of these, and then it, it never quite came down to that. Um, and then obviously dropping two against Iowa State in the last couple weeks of the season is, is pretty frustrating for fans as well. Yeah, they lost, uh, they lost two... Uh, they lost two home games to unranked opponents this year, and right. that's uh, that that's something that Karen Aston's team has just not been used to. So, I mean, the the last showing um, that we have of, of Texas was in that Iowa State game where they hung close for a while. Obviously, couldn't pull it out the end. Um, so, judging off of that most recent performance, and even I guess going back to the to the TCU matchup, what do you expect in this first round against maybe some of the potential po- opponents that they have coming up? If I'm a Texas fan, I'm worried. I am very seriously concerned because Texas has not had – they really haven't had a dominant win yeah. all throughout conference play. They, they managed to blow out a very banged up and very young and inexperienced Texas Tech squad under a first-year head coach at home. Uh, but other than that, they really haven't had that statement win that really – puts them on the pedestal that they're used to being on. So if I'm a Texas fan, you you understand that if you're in this NCAA tournament, it's not because you're a bad team. And with probably the most parity that we've seen in women's basketball in the past 10 years this I season, yeah. I think that it could really bounce either way. Uh, but 
To me, I'm not sure if Texas is making it out of the round of 32. Well, and let's talk a little bit about uh, the round of 64. Like, where are they going to be seated uh, come Selection Sunday? Right now, I've got Texas at uh, potentially a 6 or even a 7 seed. Uh, I'm looking at ESPN's Bracketology with Charlie Cream right now, and he has Texas in the Louisville section uh, taking on Auburn in the first round. Uh, the SEC really is a conference that I don't know as hunt about besides, uh, besides Tennessee's fall off. But with the amount of parity that I'm seeing as I go through this bracket, I'm thinking that there's some real potential or, for, uh, for a couple of upsets. Um, and, and you said that this is a team that is, has not met expectations. Do you get the sense that they're going into, like, are they going to be able to clean the slate and say to themselves, hey, we're not, like, we must be pretty good if we're getting into the tournament? Or do you think that that's going to bog them down at all? Well the, oppor- well, the thing about the tournament for really every team in there is it completely wipes the slate clean. Um, I, I was speaking with Karen Ashton on one of her availabilities the other day, and she kept using the phrase survive and advance. The tournament is about surviving and advancing postseason play, the Big 12 play, mm-hmm. the NCAA tournament. It's all about surviving and advancing. And, uh, you know, Texas has gotten uh, very unlucky this year when you consider injuries and a couple of losses at home. But, um, I, I think that Texas has just as good a chance as anyone to really make a run just off of the premise of surviving and advancing. I mean, if if there's one positive takeaway that this team can give you, it's that they know how to win, and they know how to win in a variety of ways. They can they can hang close with some three-point shooting. They'll, they'll win the rebounding battle. They can play tough defense. They can... They can find unconventional ways to win. I, I agree. I mean, I think this is the point of the year where you really fall back onto your coaching and your philosophy, stick to what you know. I mean, Aston's obviously been here, and they've got a lot of injuries to blame and, you know, outside circumstances that have really kind of plagued this year at certain points down the stretch. Um, I mean, I, but I think this is really, really a time where anything can happen, as we know. Like, March always gets crazy. Um, so I, I think Aston is really going to be the difference if they're going to make it out of the round of six. Or the round of 32, I should say, or even, I guess, the round of 64. I mean, because that's no tough matchup there. I mean, and then you've got to play Louisville right on their home court if they make it past that first round. Yeah, and this is, and you know, more than more than just the team, this is an opportunity for Karen Aston to wipe her slate clean. She's fallen under uh, under quite a bit of criticism this year for the job that she's done with the team. You know, last year she had a she had a phenomenal recruiting class. She gets the number uh, the number two overall recruit in the country in Charlie Collier. She gets number eight recruit Sedona Prince, but loses Prince to injury, loses Shea Route uh, to injury at the beginning of the year, loses her leading scorer and her starting shooting guard at the beginning of the year. So they're they're a little bit banged up, but what I'd be really concerned about is their lack of experience. There's really not a – they really don't have that senior leadership that you see emerge. You know, Shook Sutton's been fantastic all season as far as a floor general goes but she uh but she's only a junior and this is her first year starting danny williams there was a bunch of hype surrounding her the grad transfer from texas a&m but she ultimately has not lived up to the expectations that i think a bunch of people had for williams yeah and that was to come in and be the superstar be the next score be uh be be the next go-to person she's been consistent but hasn't exactly blown a socks off all right, so one of the segments that I came up with today is we're going to do this rapid-fire round where I'm going to name off a series of different teams from the women's bracketology uh, that we're looking at right here. And I want you to tell me 
um, how far that you expect them to make it in the tournament. Not too much of an explanation, not too much thinking about it, but just off the top of your head, how you think these teams are going to fare just based off of, you know, what you know from this season. Okay. Iowa State. Iowa State and Gum making it to the Sweet 16. They're going to ride Bridget Carlton. Kansas State. I got them getting bounced in the first round. Interesting. South Dakota. Um, what about Baylor? They're winning the natty right now. Whoa. I'm saying it. I'm Rock saying it right it here. In. Bold. Get those provided. All caps. Ready. Bold. Baylor will win the national championship. Kalani Brown's the best big in college basketball, in my opinion. They're going to roll. They're going to roll over anyone they play. Notre Dame, UConn. They don't have the size to bang with them. Mississippi right, State. Right, what, what, right, what about UConn? UConn. Yeah, they'll make it to the final four, but they'll they'll lose. So, right, so, 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 so going back to what you said, another team we've seen, Mississippi State. Mississippi State <coughs> will play Baylor in the championship. Okay. Okay. So pretty much, you know, chalk the whole way through. Yep. And finally, the Texas Longhorns. Round of 32. You heard it here first. All right. All right. And while Karen Aston might be facing a little bit of scrutiny, it's nothing like the head coach of the Texas men's basketball team, Shaka Smart. Uh, we're next going to talk to Steve uh, a bit about that men's team. Um, man, that showing against TCU was pretty brutal. Uh, they lost 69 to 56 uh, in the Frank Irwin Center uh, in their last regular season game of the year. Um, Steve had a tweet uh, saying that uh, TCU uh, had uh, been born in the Frank Irwin Center, like Bane says to Batman, and that the Longhorns must have just adopted it and they couldn't fully harness the power of it. So let's talk a little bit about that because um, TCU, like Bane, kind of. Well, might have broken their back. You understand the joke, right? Yeah. TCU has a player named Desmond Bain, and he went. I got it. I forgot his name, but now I'm. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I know if you made the connection there, and Desmond Bain just ripped Texas for 34 points and very efficient shooting. Broke its back. It's fine. Continue. 14 of 20, (laughs) six of eight from three. Texas couldn't stop a three. TCU hit nine of their first 12. They weren't taking many, but they were taking smart shots. Texas just suffered lots of lapses on defense, offensively. Jace Febres wasn't hitting. Matt Coleman wasn't really hitting. No one except for Jackson Hayes really had a productive day offensively. And Hayes had a great day, but that was just about it. And Texas didn't really feed him that much because TCU really stuffed the paint. There's no defensive three-second role in college. TCU came out of that second half, recorded four blocks in less than four minutes to start. And then Texas just resorted to outside shooting. None of those really uh, sunk. And 69-56 to is really generous. Uh, for Texas, because Texas wasn't really 13 points worse than TCU that day. They were more like 18 points worse than TCU. It was one of their ugliest games of the season, considering how well the Longhorns had played at the Irwin Center all year, defeating Kansas, defeating Baylor, winning all these games at the Irwin Center in conference play, winning seven entering the TCU one, and then they just lay an egg against TCU a team that's also on the bubble with Texas. So that loss hurt Texas even more. Now TCU can show two data points on why they're better than Texas. One that happened in Fort Worth, one that happened on the last day of the regular season in Austin. And that's just a really hard loss for Texas because now they're just one game above 500. 
And that doesn't look good for anyone. Doesn't look good for the players. Doesn't look good for Shaka Smart, who's just one game above 500 in his four-year Texas career. Nobody from Texas is a winner on, except for Jackson Hayes' draft stock on Saturday. I mean, uh, and Jackson Hayes might be on the rise, but this team has got, uh, you know, a pretty stout matchup in the first round of the Big 12 championship. Uh, Texas is seeded sixth. Uh, and they're playing the three-seed Kansas, which it's not necessarily full-strength Kansas like we always see, but that's that's still rock chalk. That's Beating them twice in a year, I mean, is, is going to be difficult by any measure. But, I mean, w- what are you expecting from this, this matchup, Steve, based off of what you've seen last time? You obviously saw them in Allen Fieldhouse and then over at the Irwin Center. So for the third matchup of the year, what are you expecting from Texas-Kansas? Texas and Kansas are very inconsistent teams this season. (laughs) Both of them are just very inconsistent. You don't know what you're getting out of them. Texas is basically a random number generator of a basketball team. You never know what it's going to spit out every night. Like It's like if they spit above a five, they're going to win. If they spit below a five, they'll lose. And they'll just beat UNC, lose to Radford, get blown out by TCU. You don't know. And Kansas has been... Somewhat of that this year, too. We saw them against Oklahoma last week just get run out of the building. This is not a typical Jayhawks team, and we see that just because a streak broke this year. Now, Kansas should be favored going into this game. They're the better team, even though Texas this year has a plus eight point differential in two games against Kansas. But the Jayhawks will play without LeGerald Vick, one of their experienced veterans. He won't be on the team anymore. And the Kansas will have to adjust to life without him. They'll have to rely on more of their younger guys, guys like freshman Quentin Grimes, uh, who will probably be going to the lottery after this. They'll have to rely on more of their Jackson Hayes type mm-hmm. recruits that are more their their projects. And Kansas has to rely on those instead of senior talent that they're used to having, guys like Perry Ellis and Frank Mason that usually lead them to high places. Now, this is a winnable game for Texas. They almost beat the Jayhawks at the Allen Fieldhouse, which teams just can't seem to do. That was close, too. And the Jayhawks aren't that good away from the Allen Fieldhouse this year at all by any means. So I think... Kansas has about a 60% chance of winning this game. Now Texas is going to get Kerwin Roach back. I wonder how that sparks a team. I'm sure he's going to play with a fire under him considering he hasn't seen the court in five games for the Longhorns. And this could very well be his last game ever at the collegiate level considering he's a senior. I know some people project him as a late second round pick, so he'll play basketball again, but just not for the Texas Longhorns. So this, this is a big game for Kerwin Roach and this team. I think a loss should, if the selection committee has the right mindset, this should eliminate Texas. There's no excuse for a 500 team to get in that large bid in the tournament. So, I mean, just talking to them, the to the players, I'm a little bit curious to to hear like what do they think about the whole suspension that was handed down with with Kerwin? Are they, you know, frustrated at the situation? Are they, you know, frustrated that their teammate isn't there? Have they commented on it much? They didn't really comment on it, but I did notice the Kerwin Roach suspension really gave way to a new field of players. I got, I think we got to see a lot of, of Elijah Mitru Long That's because exactly of the Roach suspension. And Mitru Long just provides heart and hustle that you don't see from any other players on the team. We saw more minutes for Jace Febres. I mean, he's icy and he's hot. There's two different versions of Febres. And whatever version of Febris, that's Texas's X factor. If Febris can go eight of ten, they're going to win the game. That's their eight plus of ten five from... or minus four right there. Yeah. Yes, that that's how they swing the game. Is if Febris is on fire that night, we never know when it's going to be. But when he is 
on fire. He is one of the best shooters in college basketball. So we got to see more of EML. We got to see more of Febris. And we got to see more of Courtney Ramey, who I believe a year from now will be Texas's best player. Yeah. He's great defender, usually guards the point guard, and does a good job at staying in front of his man. He hustles. He goes for those offensive rebounds. He's a good shooter, too, from three-point range, and I like his potential. So we got to see development of some of the younger guys with Kerwin Roach out. So, Stephen, you were there at the the TCU game, obviously, as well. Very frustrating loss for for Texas fans. So what do you you expect um, from Texas moving into this Kansas game? And if they are bounced here in this uh, second round, their first game of the Big 12 tournament, are they completely out on the on the NCAA's? In my opinion, yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the things that I really saw that Texas lacked against TCU was that sense of urgency. Uh, that they didn't have the That's look, exactly the what feel. TCU had. Yeah, they, Texas did not have the feel or the hustle or just the plain effort of a team that's on the bubble and needs this victory. I mean, after. After, what was it, four blocks in the second half, Texas just resorted to jacking up threes for the rest of the game, and it was just it was just a really uninspired effort. And the most exciting moment of the second half was when Jackson Hayes made a dunk inside the last minute to get the crowd fl- free pluckers. <laughs> Jeez. Bain commented on that post game. Someone asked Desmond Bain, did Texas wave a white flag? And he said, no, because I saw Hayes had a dunk in the last minute, and he looked excited and screamed after it. <laughs> but... Yeah, uh, and something that I really think doesn't help Texas's chances very much against Kansas is this is essentially another road game for Texas. Kansas is a team that has an actual following. They have a national fan base. I mean, they're going that cra- that arena is going to be filled with Kansas fans. That you're not going to hear a bunch of Texas fight going on inside Chesapeake Arena. It's going to be rock, chalk, Jayhawk the entire game. So essentially, this turns into a question of, can Texas beat Kansas on the road? You mean in Kansas City? They play in Kansas City. Not Oklahoma City. I thought it was Oklahoma City, too. Women's the women Oklahoma played in Oklahoma City. City. Kansas City is men's. Oh, well. It's okay. I misspoke. Run it's fine. Back, Run it back. Run I back. mean, it doesn't matter. All right, cool. Lighting round. That's it. What do you mean? Do you want to do lighting round with Steve, too? Lightning oh, fuck, round. I forgot we were doing that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh I like that better. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, Steve, we're going to kick off that same segment that we uh, that we threw in there with Steven a minute ago where we're going to run down some of the, the teams here looking at uh, bracketology from, uh, from yesterday. And I want you to tell me where you think these teams are going to end up. Okay. All right. Let's start off with... Virginia. They'll bow out to the four or five seed that they play. So they'll they'll reach a sweet sixteen this year. I'm interested because you've said that now. Let's talk about Kansas. I think I'm looking at Joe Lenardi's bracketology right yeah, now and that's, that that's top, what I'm looking at too. That top left bracket is so weak that I don't even know who's going to win it because I don't want to put Kansas in the final four. I've lost yeah. all trust in Virginia because I put Virginia on my final four every year because I'll read a few articles on how Go they Terriers, are man. so good at defense and all that stuff. And then the UMBC retrievers just <laughs> come in and win by 20 points. So That was one of the best nights of my entire life, I think. 
so I, I have absolute, I, I put in a transfer request actually. <laughs> I have absolutely no faith in a Virginia team until they reach the Final Four. Right, Murray okay. State though this year's Cinderella team, Murray really? State. Mur- do you have anything to to go off of? of off the oh, side of what's of, that guy's name? Ja John Morant. Morant. Ja yeah. Morant. Yeah, that guy's got number two in the draft pick. I'm calling him right now. They have uh, Murray State has it. They have the go-to superstar player that can lead a Cinderella team. Okay, so looking at Big Twelve champion Texas Tech now, how do you expect them to fare? Texas Tech, I think that's going to be it's an Elite Eight team at worst. That's what they did last year. This year, I think they can take the step and even make it to the Final Four. Wow. I think going off of Joe Lenardi's bracketology, I see them meeting North Carolina in the Elite Eight, and that game just seems like a coin flip for me. Part of me wants to pick North Carolina after watching them play Duke, which Duke still has good team even without Zion. I right. mean, they got like the second and third best recruits in the nation. But Roy Williams coach team, Chris Beard coach team, that should be a good matchup there. Texas Tech will experience tourney success once again. So looking at a, a team that was neck and neck with Texas for uh, a part of the season, let's move over to the South region and talk about Kansas State. Kansas State, that is uh, Kansas State, they are given a four seed right now. They're a good team, and they have great players like Dean Wade and Barry Brown. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a sweet 16 team probably. Last year they made the Elite Eight. A lot of that was off of luck against UMBC, mm-hmm. draw, drawing them instead of Virginia. But then they proved it, and they went out and they beat Kentucky, which was a common Final Four pick even as a five seed. So I think this Kansas State team this year can get back to the Sweet 16 at least. Pretty successful run for the Big 12 if it's up to Steve. But I think what's most interesting about this is looking back over to the East region here, we've got – Number 11, Texas, against two, of course. Number six, Nevada. No. <laughs> I'm just going to say no. no. I, 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 they, they're going to have well, to win to even get, get there, right? Okay, so if Texas beats Kansas and loses to Texas Tech, they're still one game above 500, and they'd still be trying to become the worst at-large team of all time. Right, like, because yeah, by definition. Vanderbilt and Alabama in the last two seasons have gotten in with 15, 15 losses, yeah. and that's it. So Texas is trying to become the first 16-loss team ever. Because they're not going to win the Big 12 tournament. If they're a seed higher, they can't get a seed higher than that, technically. I mean, virtually, because of all the the automatic qualifiers. I think they're a play-in game if they make it. I think they have to be a playing game. You have to. You can't grant them automatically in, right? So there's no way. It's time to book your plane tickets to Dayton, Ohio, for this team and watch them play. uh, I don't know a TCU or a Clemson or no, they won't play TCU. It'd be Clemson or NC State or someone maybe. Belmont. How are you going to tell a 27-5 and Belmont team that's even beaten teams like UCLA this year, tell them that they're not worthy for the tournament and throw 16-16 and Texas in? Welcome to Clark's Fun Fact. Last week we were talking about tennis. We're going to be shifting gears a little bit. It's been a rough day for Texas, let's be honest. So today's facts, I want to give a little inspiration. Now, there's been a lot made of this year's NBA draft. We have two really good players who could be prodigal talents in Zion Williamson and John Morant. And I always like to look to the future. There's one basketball player next year, however, who I think carries deeper weight. His name's Kalen Bennett. He was offered a scholarship by Kent State. Well, what's so special about Kalen? Kalen is the first athlete ever to be diagnosed with autism and get a Division I scholarship. He was, never, he was told when he was four years old he would never walk or talk. The point is... No matter obstacles, if you have the talent and the work ethic, you can accomplish 
whatever is necessary. If that's not a middle finger to society, I don't know what is. Mm. Golden flashes, baby. Mm. Kent State. Mm. Action. Mm. Bless up. But uh, that's good. That's all we've got for this week. Thanks to Clark for that inspirational fun fact. Thank you to Steve, to Steven, to Ross. And you know what? I give all the love to myself, too. Thank you to JT. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Uh, make sure to follow Texan Sports at Texan Sports for the most, or for for the best coverage of men's basketball, women's basketball, and everybody's new favorite beat, men's tennis. And uh, then follow at Texan Audio and all the guys you've heard today. They're going to put out great content, uh, and uh, we hope you see it. Uh, you guys have a great week, and uh, you know what? Watch some Full House, and long for simpler times. Desperate house.